my dear president of Christendom College, chairperson of the board of directors, friends of the college, faculty, and students of Christendom College. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a joy for me to be with you once more in this year of 35 years of Christendom College. For Benedict XVI, in his apostolic letter, Paul Tapide, issued on 11th October 2011, declared the year of faith, quote, to begin on 11th October 2012, the 50th anniversary of the opening of the Second Vatican Council, and it will end on the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, Universal King, on 24th November this year. The starting date continues for Benedict. The starting date of 11th October 2012 also marks the 20th anniversary of the publication of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, with a view to illustrating for all the faithful the power and beauty of the faith. So, Pope Benedict, this time of grace, this year of faith, was actually inaugurated by the Holy Father, Pope Benedict, on 11th October 2012, in the presence of the near 260 bishops who were participating in the 30th, no, 13th Ordinary Assembly of the Synod of Bishops last October, but also the presidents of bishops' conferences national from around the world, plus 12 of the 29 fathers of the Second Vatican Council still alive, 65 of the bishops who took part in Vatican II, 69 are still alive at that time in October. A few are on the other side of 100. Only 12 could be in Rome last October. I, being the last of them all, was asked to speak. <laughs> Why this year of faith? It is important we be clear on the reasons why the Holy Father declared the year of faith. Our faith needs to be strengthened. The Pope begins the apostolic letter, Porta Pide, the door of the faith, by saying that the door of faith is always open for us, ushering us into the life of communion with God and offering entry into his church. To enter through that door is to set out on a journey that lasts a lifetime. It begins with baptism. The Holy Father reminds us that often during his ministry as successor of St. Peter, he has spoken of the need to rediscover the journey of faith so as to shed ever clearer light on the joy and renewed enthusiasm of the encounter with Christ. The year of faith will help us to rediscover a taste for feeding our faith ourselves on the word of God, says the Pope, faithfully handed down by the church, and on the bread of life, offered as sustenance for his disciples. 
All this will strengthen belief in Jesus Christ. Pope Benedict wants us to pay more attention to the Second Vatican Council. He timed the launching of the Year of Faith to coincide with the 50th anniversary of the opening of Vatican II, which was opened on the 11th of October, 1962, by Blessed John. John the 23rd, to provide a good opportunity to help people to understand that the texts bequeathed by the Council Fathers in the words of Blessed John Paul II have lost nothing of their value or brilliance. They need to be read correctly, to be widely known and taken to heart as important and normative texts of the Magisterium within the Church's tradition. Continues John Paul II, I feel more than ever in duty bound to point to the Council as the great grace bestowed on the Church in the 20th century. For John Paul II to say that, he knows what he's talking about. There we find a sure compass by which to take our bearings in the century now beginning. Of the Second Vatican Council, Pope Benedict said to the Roman Curia, in his Christmas address of the year 2005. If we interpret and implement it, guided by the right hermeneutic, it can be and can become increasingly powerful for the ever necessary renewal of the Council. Many of the students here, perhaps all, were not even born at the time the Council concluded. The year of faith is thus a summons to an authentic and renewed conversion to the Lord, the world savior of the world. Various ways to celebrate the year of faith. Both the apostolic letter Paul Tapidei and the suggestions issued by a special committee of the Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith, I was a member of that committee, indicated various ways in which this year of faith can be celebrated. Examples are reflection on the faith to be intensified, more vigorous adherence to the gospel, and profession of faith in the risen Lord in cathedrals, other churches, homes, families, religious communities, parishes, and all ecclesial bodies are exhorted to find a way during the year of faith to make a public profession of the credo. The celebration of the faith in sacred liturgy, especially the Holy Eucharist, is to be intensified. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is a systematic and organic synthesis of the content of the faith, is to be particularly studied because it is a precious and indispensable tool, says Pope Benedict. The CCC, Catechism of the Catholic Church, is the best compendium in our times of our faith, not a, a collection of hypotheses but what we believe, so you are on sure ground. It's, it has only 700 pages. <laughs> if you are afraid of the pages, you read one page a day, you finish it in two years. <laughs> I have used it for my daily prayer. One page or half a, a page per day, and it paid. Today, too, says Pope Benedict, Today, too, there is a need 
for stronger ecclesial commitment to new evangelization in order to rediscover the joy of believing and the enthusiasm for communicating the faith. Because the faith is actually good news to be announced at midday sunshine and not a contraband good to be smuggled across the customs. <laughs> not that I support smuggling. <laughs> Therefore, the year of faith should help all of us to find more credible ways to witness to Christ. Esteemed faculty and students of Christendom College and all here present, as one of our ways to celebrate this year of faith, let us focus this evening our reflection on the apostolate of the late faithful. What is specific to the apostolate of the late faithful? What do three of the Second Vatican Council documents say about it? Why is this specific lay apostolate engagement particularly urgent in our times? And why would anybody have any hesitation about it? Anyhow, these are the points we shall now consider. First, what is the actual nature of the lay apostolate that distinguishes it from the apostolate of the clerics or the left or the religious? The church has always understood the call to follow Christ by faith and baptism as a call to the apostolate. By apostolate, we mean the mission of the church. Why Christ founded the church? It is to spread the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ so that all men and women may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That knowing him, they may believe in him and live the new life he has won for all humanity and find eternal salvation in his name. Therefore, the Second Vatican Council declares that the Church carries out this mission through all her members. Quote, the, the document of the Apostolate, for by its very nature, the Christian vocation is also a vocation to the Apostolate. No part of the structure of a living body is merely passive, but each has a share in the functions as well as in the life of the body. Indeed, so intimately are the parts linked and interrelated in this body that the member who fails to make his or her proper contribution to the development of the church must be said to be useful neither to the church nor to himself or herself. So the council. There are no spectators in the church. It is not like soccer, which I know better than American football. <laughs> in soccer there are 22 players. In American football, there are 22 also who are playing, but there are 22 million who are watching and cheering and yelling and booing and giving directives. But they are spectators. Everyone in the church has a role to play. No one in the church is a spectator. Everyone in the church shares in the church's mission according to the person's vocation and mission. There are three major categories of vocations in the church. Bishops, priests, and deacons. 
They are called to sanctify the people of God, to preach the word of God, and to gather the people of God together. To preach, to sanctify, and to gather. Consecrated people, religious, and people in various forms of consecrated life, are called to take and lead the three evangelical councils of chastity, poverty, and obedience, and to show in this way that the kingdom of God and its overmastering necessities are superior to all earthly considerations, raising people's minds to the world to come. That is their apostolate. But the vast majority of the members of the church, indeed, 99.9% are the lay people. They are called by baptism to witness to Christ in the secular sphere of life. That is, the family, work and leisure, science and culture, politics and government, trade and commerce, mass media, national and international relations. Their specific apostolate is the main concern of our reflection. I consulted the statistical yearbook of the church published last March. I will not bore you with figures because you can get a copy afterwards. But Catholics in the whole world, when you calculate the numbers, the bishops, 5,000 round figure, the priests, 412,000, the religious women, 721,000, the religious men who are not priests, 54,000. But the lay faithful, 1,194,806,000. In short, the lay people are 99.9% .9 of the church. Mission follows on vocation. The apostolate expected of a person in the church depends on and follows on what that person is called to be in the church. Therefore, the proper way to understand what the lay apostolate is should be to ask ourselves who the lay person is. If you ask many people who is a lay person, they will give you a negative definition. They will tell you probably that a lay person is a Christian who is not a priest and is not a religious brother or sister. Such a definition is not wrong but it is insufficient. Even logic tells us that a definition should not be negative if it can be positive. And in this case, it can be positive and should be. How would a diocesan priest like to be defined as a Christian who is neither a lay person nor a religious? <laughs> a definition is important because it hits at what is considered most essential regarding the defined thing, or person, or group, or concept. The fathers of the Second Vatican Council go about the definition of the lay people rather very carefully in paragraph 31 of Lumen Gentium. They begin with a brief negative description in order to make clear whom we are speaking about, to demarcate the line, so to speak. The bishops of the councils describe the term laity here, understood to mean all the faithful except those in holy orders and those in the religious state. That's a negative description, but that is in order to start. 
Then the fathers of the council moved positively to tell us that the laity are those who, by baptism, are made one body with Christ. They are inserted in the church. They have a share in Christ, who is priest, prophet, and king. They carry out their own part in the mission of the whole church by engaging in temporal affairs and ordering them according to the plan of God. That's the essence. They live in the world that is in each and in all of the secular professions and occupations in the ordinary circumstances of family and social life from which the very wealth of their existence is woven. The council continues by adding that this means that the secular character is specific to the vocation and mission of the laity. They are called, quote, to work for the sanctification of the world from within in the manner of leaven. It is the responsibility of the laity to illuminate and organize temporal affairs. That means family, work, leisure, politics, government, trade, science, technology, quote, in such a way that they may always start out, develop, and persist according to Christ's mind, to the praise of the Creator and Redeemer. Lumen Gentium 31. Now we have a positive and dynamic definition of a lay person. A person who by baptism is incorporated in Christ and the church is called to evangelize the secular order. Blessed John Paul who calls on the lay faithful to realize the height and depth of their calling. In the Christi Fidelis Laici, the document he wrote after the synod on the lay faithful, he wrote, only through accepting the richness in the mystery that God gives to the Christian in baptism, is it possible to come to a basic description of the lay faithful. Baptism regenerates us in the life of the Son of God, unites us to Christ and to his body, the church, and anoints us in the Holy Spirit, making us spiritual temples. The Second Vatican Council, therefore, dedicates the decree, Apostolica Matidocitatem, to explaining the apostolate of the lay faithful and urging the lady to be generous in witnessing to Christ. In the concluding paragraph, the Council Fathers declare, the church then makes an urgent appeal in the Lord's name that all lay people give a glad, generous, and prompt response to the impulse of the Holy Spirit and to the voice of Christ who is giving them an especially urgent invitation at this moment. We can speak of lay apostolate engagement as individual apostolate or also of apostolate organizations in more specifically secular areas. With the encouragement of the Second Vatican Council, paper teaching, and the support of the bishops and priests, the late faithful in the last half century are developing more and more ways of witnessing to Christ in the secular sphere. Organizations of Catholic men and women are getting more directly involved in socio-cultural and political matters. Blessed John Paul II reminds the lay faithful that public life is for everyone and by everyone. Justice demands respect for the rights of people in society. In order to achieve this task, directed to the Christian animation of the temporal order, in the sense of serving persons and society, 
the late faithful are never to relinquish their participation in public life, that is, in the many different economic, social, legislative, administrative, and cultural areas which are intended to promote organically and institutionally the common good. It's no use for a lay person to come, turn around and say, ah, politics is dirty. Politics is not dirty. But a particular politician could be dirty. Why don't you get into action? Why don't you get elected? Why don't you get active in a political party? Why don't you get into the Senate and into the House of Representatives and capture the key posts there? Or you just do nothing like the apostles. When Judas Iscariot was organizing very carefully, Peter, James, and John were sleeping. Christ woke them three times. They were still sleeping, but Judas was not sleeping. And Judas, when he completed his job, then the apostles woke up. <laughs> and Peter wanted to use the sword, and Christ did not even approve it. I think he wanted to cut off the whole head of Marcus. He got only the ear. And, and Christ put back the ear where it belonged. <laughs> and Peter ran away. They were not yet lay people. <laughs> but, but they are symbols of lay people who, instead of getting into political action, don't do anything. Then when other people have ruined the whole state, they get into their rooms and sprinkle holy water in their rooms and say they run to of course, we should pray and use holy water, but that does not replace positive, organized lay action. <laughs> Pope Benedict XVI distinguishes between what the church is expected to do as church and what lay faithful can and should do as citizens. The quotation is rather long. I will not bore you with this because you can make copies later. But essentially, he says the church cannot and must not take upon herself the political battle to bring about the most just society possible. She cannot and must not replace the state. Yet at the same time, she cannot and must not remain on the sidelines in the fight for justice. She has to play her part through rational argument and she has to reawaken the spiritual energy without which justice, which always demands sacrifice, cannot prevail and prosper. It is the lay faithful, continues Pope Benedict, it is the lay faithful, equipped with dynamic doctrine and fed by the sacraments, who will translate involvement in the socio-political and socio-cultural and political matter into reality. This is precisely what the lay apostolate organizations under consideration strive to do. They want to witness to Christ in society, in cultural matters, in political discussion, and in political elections. They join hands to defend the apostolate of the church in the educational and medical service fields. They do not hesitate to use the press, the radio, and the television to defend the marriage and the family, which are under heavy attack in country after country. I rejoice with you at the initiatives which lay people take in this country. Some people run their own radio or television, not to talk of organizations. It is better that than just sit back and condemn the darkness. Put on, put on, even one candle is better than condemning the darkness. 
Some of these dynamically organizations are associations of professionals who are engaged to see how best they can witness to Christ in society. Thus, there are Catholic Medical Practitioners Association, Catholic Lawyers Association, Catholic Business Men's Association, and so on. These are all possible. The Holy Father, speaking to African lay people during the publication of the document in Cotonou, Benin, after the African Synod, too, said, I also encourage you to have an active and courageous presence in the areas of political life, culture, the arts, media, and various associations. Do not be hesitant or ashamed about this presence, but be proud of it and conscious of the valuable contribution it can offer to the common good. Now, I would like to mention parts of what three major Vatican II documents said on the lay apostolate. I will not read the whole of it so as not to bore you. The three documents are Gaudium et Spes, Lumen Gentium, and Apostolicum Actuositatum. That is the document on the church in the world of today, the document on the church, and the document on the lay apostolate. The document on the church in the world of today, the most famous paragraph on this particular point is paragraph 43. The council entitles that paragraph the help which the church strives to give to human activity through Christians. The council begins by telling Christians that they must not make a divorce between their duties as citizens and their duties as Christians, that they must have a vital synthesis between the two as citizens, and says that those who, those Christians are mistaken who, knowing that we have on earth no abiding city, but seek one which is to come, think that they may therefore shirk or avoid their earthly responsibility. Such people are forgetting that by the faith itself, they are more than ever obliged to carry out these duties, each person according to his or her own vocation. That means religious, religion and duty as citizens are one piece for us. They are not to be regarded as watertight apartments duties. The council equally condemns the divorce between religion and daily life. It says that those people are mistaken who imagine that religion consists in acts of worship alone and in the discharge of certain religious obligations, and that they can plunge themselves into earthly affairs in such a way as to imply that these are altogether divorced from their religious life. In a more generalized way, it calls attention to such people to, who think it, it consists in Sunday Mass, and whatever they do from Monday to Saturday has nothing to do with their Christianity. The Council declares such a mentality to be wrong. It says, the split between the religion which many profess and their daily duties deserve to be counted among the most serious errors of our age. Long since, the prophets of old fought vehemently against this scandal, and even more so did our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament threaten it with great punishment. To put it in simple terms, those Christians who think that religion consists mainly in going to Mass, but it does not matter on Monday and Friday, they are mistaken. 
I put it in simple language. Thaddy Smith, who is not from Front Royal, Thaddy Smith always went to Mass. He never missed a Sunday. But Thaddy Smith went to hell for what he did on Monday. <laughs> because he didn't make a synthesis between the one hour Sunday Mass and his duty on Monday as a civil servant or a dock worker or a politician or a businessman or even a, a, an aeroplane pilot. We have to make a synthesis between them. Then the council goes on. There must not be any false opposition between professional duties and social activities on the other hand and religious duties on the other. That's one point. But the heart of that paragraph is that the council says, I will not read the rest, the rest of it, it's rather long, but it says essentially this. The layperson must not imagine that to every question which arises, there are pastors, that means the priests, have the answer, or even that this is their mission. Rather, taking into account the teaching of the church, let the layperson take on his or her own distinctive role. That means the duties of the layperson in the socio-cultural and political area are such that it is not from the clergy that they will get directives on what to do in those areas. They must take on their own distinctive role. From the clergy, they will get the doctrine and they will get the sacraments. We have Social Doctrine of the Church, a book of 525 pages on family, work, leisure, strikes, government, voting, society, national and international relations. But then the laborers must then take on their own distinctive role and their own responsibility. Where they are not, the lay apostolate is no gift to the clergy. The lay people are just doing their part and the priests are doing their part. I could go on, but there is no need. A second document, Lumen Gentium. I already touched the heart of what it spoke in paragraphs 31 to 38. Baptism is the foundation of the lay apostolate. The lay apostolate is a participation in the saving mission of the church herself. Through their baptism and confirmation, all the laity are commissioned to that apostolate by the Lord himself. They are nourished especially by the Holy Eucharist. The council goes on to state the specific quality of the lay apostolate. The laity are called in a special way to make the church present and operative in those places and circumstances where only through them can she become the salt of the earth. Besides this apostolate, there is also the collaboration by the laity with the clergy in what can be described as inner church affairs. That is, the lay people work with the clerics in the parish, in the parish council, in the parish financial projects, of course, building of parish church hall, organizing of groups in the parish, excellent. Teaching of catechism, excellent. But that's not the height of the lay apostolate. 
a greater mistake still to think that the top lay people in the parish are those who help the priest to distribute Holy Communion. Those who struggle, who will open the tabernacle. They are not the top lay apostolate people. The top lay apostolate people are the lay people in Congress and in the Senate and those in the business society and those in Wall Street and those who control the finance of the country and those who are in the international corporations are, and those who are in the news media that set a tone are, that's the heart of lay apostolate. Which does not mean to, not to value cooperation by lay people in inner church affairs. That also The rest is simply reading it, and I shall not. You know that is <laughs> because it is. It all comes to that thing. Then the last document, specifically on the lay faithful, their apostolate. The council says that Christ's redemptive work, while of itself directed towards the salvation of people, involves also the renewal of the whole temporal order. Temporal order would be what we call the secular sphere, which means family, work, the, the rough and tumble of daily life, uh, politics, government, and all these areas I've mentioned, they are the temporal order. That is why the mission of the church is not only to bring people to message and grace of Christ, but also to penetrate and perfect the temporal order with the spirit of the gospel. It is in fulfilling this mission of the church that the lady faithful exercise the apostolate both in the church and in the world, in both the spiritual and temporal orders. Christ wants to make the whole universe into a new creation. That is not possible if lay people are absent in the temporal area. The mission of the church concerns the salvation of people, which is to be achieved by believing Christ and by his grace, the church strives to manifest Christ's message by words and deeds and to communicate his grace to the world. The clergy do this work through the ministry of the word and the administration of the sacraments. The laity have an important role to play because they are fellow workers for the truth. They do this not only by example of their good lives and the words they address directly to believers and non-believers, but more particularly by what they do to face the problems of the world of today according to Christian principles. In paragraph 7, the Council comes to the core of its statement of the distinctiveness of the lay apostolate. It says, God's plan for the world is that people should work together to restore the temporal sphere of things and to develop it unceasingly. By temporal sphere is meant family, culture, economic affairs, the arts and professions, political institutions, and international relations, as well as their development and progress. These elements not only help to the attainment of mankind's ultimate goal, but also possess their own intrinsic value. Sin, however, the Council notes, is a sad fact in human history. Original sin and actual sin Sin has corrupted morals and human institutions, damaged human beings, 
and made some people slaves of science and technology instead of their masters. The whole church must work hard to help humanity to direct the temporal order to God through Christ. Pastors do this by teaching the correct doctrine on the purpose and use of temporal things and making available the moral and spiritual aids by which the temporal order can be restored in Christ. But this is the area where the late faithful in particular called to operate. The incisive words of the council are what quoted. The lady must take on the renewal of the temporal order as their own specific obligation. Led by the light of the gospel and the mind of the church, motivated by Christian love, let them act directly and definitively in the temporal sphere. As citizens, they must cooperate with other citizens, using their own particular skills and acting on their own responsibilities. Everywhere and in all things, they must seek the characteristic justice of God's kingdom. The temporal order must be renewed in such a way that without the slightest detriment to its own proper laws, it can be brought into conformity with the higher principles of the Christian life and adapted to the shifting circumstances of time, place, and person. Outstanding among the works of this type of apostolate is that of Christian social action. This sacred synod, that is the council, desire to see it extended now to the whole temporal sphere, including culture. And clerics and religious should recognize this and support it. When the lay people do their own apostolate, they are not making a gift to the clerics. They are simply doing their part in the work of the church. Granted, the clerics will be there. The bishop is the leader, yes, but um, all of, the leader of the team is not the whole team. When the others play their part, they are not doing a tribute to the leader. They are just contributing to the good of the whole team. Now, let us ask ourselves, what are some of the reasons why the lay apostolate engagement, as outlined, is particularly urgent in the world of today? The phenomenon of God being left, left out of life, left out of life in society, this phenomenon is growing in one country after another in the world of today. Even in countries that have been traditionally Christian, there are people who live and who want others to live as if God did not exist. This secularism appears in their families, in their schools, in their places of work and recreation, in the mass media, politics and government, in the academia, and in the promotion of science and technology. While bishops and priests are expected to preach about the honor due to God, it is the lay faithful who live in the secular sphere, who meet their colleagues in the various arenas just mentioned, and who are better placed not only to witness by word, but also and especially to show by the example of their lives that human society has to pay attention to God. So that's one reason why it is particularly urgent, secularism. Faith and culture have to meet. By the incarnation, the Son of God took on human nature and inserted himself into a concrete and particular culture, people, language, ways of expressing oneself, and ways of celebrating. It is for the lady, each according to his or her profession and competence, 
to show positively in society and to argue when necessary that the encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ all along the corridors of two millennia has been an event of inspiration and elevation for culture and has built bridges between peoples. If it were not for the church, I would not be sitting here this evening. Moreover, it has enriched the fiber of social relations, inspired the arts, humanized and elevated education, and been a powerful motivation for works of charity and mercy. In the university, lay people should significantly respond to the call of the church, as John Paul II said it, the call of the church to be present as signs of courage and intellectual creativity in the privileged areas of culture, that is, the world of education. Although clerics and religions can and should do this, the weakness of lay people acquires convincing credibility. If a priest on the staff in a university does something good, people are likely to say, that's what we expect from them. But if a lay person does the same, the convincing capacity increases because that lay person is with the others in the rough and tumble of daily life. They cannot say he does not understand us. He lives in an ivory tower. Marriage and family are under attack in one country after another. There are forces which banalize, desacralize, commercialize, and even ridicule marriage and the family. Think of ideologies that glamorize sexual relations outside marriage, that support same-sex unions, and which regard abortion as a right and push for euthanasia. The witness of lay people in the mass media, in parliaments, in governments, and in academic institutions is irreplaceable. Lay people will find, as a mine of solid information, the document already mentioned, the uh, compendium on the social doctrine of the church. Organization and population movements mean that in many countries, a high number of young people flock to the cities where they seek work, which they often don't find. Disoriented, poor, and hungry, they become a prey to strange ideologies and groups that tempt them to one evil or the other. Apostolic-minded lay people are needed to help to share with these youths some hope, fraternity, gratuitousness, kindness, and Christian solidarity. They are also needed to see what can be done about unemployment, housing, poor housing, provision of soup kitchens where necessary, help to young people to find suitable conditions for apprenticeship, laws regarding remuneration for house servants, and protection against child labor, not to talk of human trafficking. The church in each country can ask herself what image there is in that country of the gospel in the mass media and in cultural thought patterns in the country in question. Are the lay people hesitant, slow, or even afraid to show their faith in public? Do they hide like Nicodemus and visit Jesus only by night? Do they regard the presentation of Catholic doctrine on marriage and the family, on abortion, on euthanasia, 
and the defense of this position, do the lay people regard the, all this as the duty of the clergy? While the lay people are regarded as doing enough if they attend Sunday Mass, and the priest should stand outside and congratulate them for their bravery in coming to Sunday Mass. <laughs> Politics and government have to be evangelized. These are specific fields where the lay people are called to bring the Spirit of Christ into the various areas of secular life. If the lay people do not do this, who will do it? If a priest goes into politics, we say, no, no, you don't do that. That's not what you are led for. Representation of the Christian stand on social questions when made by a lay person who is well prepared has special power to convince the general public much more than the witness of a religious or a cleric. Very symbolic and convincing is the example of that king, no, that king in Europe, who was against abortion. And when the parliament was pushing it, he refused to sign. And he said, instead of signing it, I resign as king. And you can get on with the abortion project. And he did so. That is Christianity. Such action is worth more than a thousand words. We could go on, but let these reasons suffice to reinforce our conviction of the irreplaceable role of lay engagement if the church is to be fully present in society. But I will not omit mentioning one case. In my own country, there was once they were discussing the liberalization of abortion laws. That means to make it easier to kill unborn children. And it was a Catholic who had never seen the inside of a university, who was member of parliament, who was appointed chairman of the committee of the House of Representatives to examine the, the bill for that discussion. Who was to lead? I know, because I knew him. He was a very capable person. At diocesan meetings, he faced lawyers and tore them to pieces. So I gave him all the documents so that he could get the arguments and not tell us the bishop said or the pope said. He was the reason why abortion is not correct. And he did so well that his committee convinced the entire parliament to throw out the bill. And in the parliament, they called him abortion killer. <laughs> he succeeded. You can come to Mass on Sunday, then we can sing the Mass, even in Latin. <laughs> to conclude, because we have finally to conclude, why then do some people hesitate to support full lay engagement, such as we have discussed? Why would anybody hesitate? Here are some reasons. Some people said, Oh yes, all this doctrine is attractive and dynamic. But then, there are risks. The, the risk is too much. They prepared a meeting track where the clergy gave the needed leadership and things went well. They said that this has served the church very well and society very well for centuries and there is no need to adventure into uncharted waters. As one priest told me in Italy, 
My lay people, there's no need for counsel and all this lay apostolate. My people are very good. I love them, they love me. I see what is to be done, I'm in the parish for 50 years, I tell them, and they always do it. So we don't need any council, we don't need organization. I am the council. That would be nice if all his parishioners were under age five. <laughs> The argument that the clergy give good leadership and that therefore there is no need to urge lay leadership, that argument is not convincing. The church is not identified with the clergy. The clergy, in any case, are only 0.1% of the church. Clericalism is exaggerated control of everything by the clergy. It does not produce mature Christians among the laity. It refuses to learn from the history of the setback the church has had in some countries where clerical dominance in past ages has boomeranged into extreme reactions by some lay people in our times. I will nearly mention the country, but I will not. Some clerics and some lay people regard the lay apostolate as power struggle in the church. The lay people want more power in the church. They don't see why all the clergy should have all the power. Would they even want to study theology and canon law in order to challenge the, 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 the clerics on the same level playing ground? The answer is that the lay people should take on their own distinctive role. This does not suggest that they should ignore the clergy or rival the clergy, or fight them. It is simply to assert that the apostolate specific to the lay people is the Christianization of the temporal order as insiders in the manner of level, salt, or light, which act from within. This is not the apostolate specific to the clergy. It's not. The church is a communion. If each of us does our part, the whole church functions well. It is important to have a correct ecclesiology. The church is a communion of all the baptized in Christ. Baptism gives all the disciples of Christ a fundamental equality and a share in the general mission of the church. By the will of Christ, priests and bishops are pastors in the church. They act in the name of Christ, the head of the church. They do not lord it over the lady. With St. Augustine, they can say, what I am for you terrifies me. What I am with you consoles me. For you, I am a bishop. But with you, I am a Christian. The former is a title of duty, the latter one of grace. The former is a danger, the latter salvation. That I'm a bishop for you is a danger for me. It's not a pension post for enjoyment or hitlerization. 
That's self-exalting. That bishops and priests are pastors in the church is a question of sacramental designation through the sacrament of holy orders. In the diocese, the bishop is the leader of the church community. As a leader, his servant. If the Pope is called the servant of the servants of God, who do you think you are as bishop or priest? You are their servant. The steward does not own the dinner. But the steward is expected to serve the guests. Suppose the steward begins to assert, I own the dinner. <laughs> the whole equation changes. A lay theologian who explains the Catholic stand on some question of faith and morals over the television does very good work. Very good work. Many people will sooner believe a lay person speaking over the television, a lay Catholic of his than believe a bishop. Because they say the bishop, of course, that's what we expect the Vatican to say. That lay person is not only not a threat to the bishops and priests, but on the contrary, he is their fellow worker for the kingdom of God. As St. Paul told the Colossians and the Philippians, fellow worker, and St. Paul mentions many of them, Aquila, Priscilla, uh, Apollos, and so on. But this is on condition that he remains faithful to Orthodox Catholic doctrine, of which the bishops and the of which the Pope and the bishops in communion with him are the authentic exponents, the magisterium. No one person setting up set against what the bishops and the popes are teaching is anymore a, a good Catholic in good standing, obviously. Whether that one person be bishop or priest or lay person does not matter. Sometimes the reasons for hesitation are that the lay faithful have not received adequate doctrinal and apostolic formation, so that they lack the courage to defend the church in the public square. If you ask them, why is the contraception not correct? They say, wait a moment, let me go and ask the parish priest. <laughs> ah, so you can't give the reason. Then your formation has not been up to what is expected. The answer is clear. Prepare them set up suitable pastoral, theological, and lay apostolic centers. Get the lady to study theology and canon law and all the other ways of association. Form associations of Catholic professionals, such as for medical doctors, lawyers, business people, and university dons. Catholic doctors need a specific Catholic doctors association where they can get a chaplain who will give them serious theology on bioethics and supply them with the books. Then they can be good doctors and good Catholics. Catholic lawyers on their own area, in their own area, and so on. If that is not done, how can you expect such a person to go at the television and begin to defend the Catholic stand? They won't be able. They run away like Nicodemus and visit Jesus by night. Support them with well-chosen chaplains and libraries. The answer cannot be to retire into the sacristy and let the clergy run the whole show. Launch out into the deep. We marvel at the depth and magnanimity of God's grace. The Lord Jesus, in the mystery of the church, has called all humanity.
to share in the wonders of the redemption. He has in the church provided for the equal dignity of all the baptized, together with diversity and complementarity in the various apostolates that they expected to carry out. Our prayerful hope is that this year of the faith may have as one of its fruits that the lay people will realize more and more the dignity of their calling in the church and in the world, and that they may more vigorously take on their own distinctive role and launch out into the deep. May our Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary, Queen of Apostles, obtain for us the grace that it may be so. It's finished.